Today, we're in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 6. Jesus said, Blessed are they, blessed are they, which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are perfectly righteous. Thank you that you are without sin, without shadow, without error, without mistake, without evil. You are righteous. And Jesus, you said to us that we would be filled with righteousness if we would have an appetite for it. And so my prayer in this moment and for this hour and for this people, pastor included, that you would make us to hunger and thirst to be righteous. And we will give you praise as you accomplish that by your spirit. And we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said out loud together, amen. I want you to begin understanding this passage today or this verse by writing down, let's jot this down in our notes somewhere, the fact that in this statement, this pronouncement of Jesus He highlighted our shared spiritual deficiencies. Our shared spiritual deficiencies. Would you say the word shared with me? Just shout it out loud. Our shared, shared spiritual deficiencies. Look at your neighbor and tell them we're in this together. Go ahead and just let them know. It's not only you that's standing in in the need of prayer. It's that person sitting next to you standing in the need of prayer. These are, this is our shared spiritual deficiency. Here's the fact. No one is naturally righteous. No one. There is not a person who is naturally righteous. Therefore, because we have a righteous, righteousness deficit, Jesus said that we ought to hunger after righteousness. We ought to thirst after righteousness. What we do not have, we ought to long for. And he said, as we come into his kingdom and as we long and thirst and hunger for righteousness, he promises us that we would be filled. Let's begin with a definition of righteousness. What does Jesus mean when he talks about righteousness? And beyond that, what does the Bible mean when it talks about Righteousness. You'll find the word righteousness in the Bible over 500 times. Over and over and over, the Bible talks about this issue of righteousness. Here's what it means. Righteousness means the condition of being in a right relationship or in good standing with God. That's the definition. To be righteous has nothing to do with my comparative evaluation of how I might live compared to someone else. It is rather the condition of being in a right relationship or being in a good standing with God. Another way to say it would be to be righteous is to be right. That is to be right with God. To be righteous is to be right with God. 
Now, the Hebrew word that is used many, many hundreds or several hundreds of times throughout the Old Testament is the word sadek. The Hebrew sadek, which means or is translated righteous or justice or just. And it means to conform to a given norm, to conform to an established standard, or to walk in a prescribed path. Now get, get this in your head that the Bible says we are righteous if we are righteous when we follow a prescribed norm. So a person would be considered a righteous person because they followed the prescribed norm or standard that had been given to them. Now, God has prescribed for us a standard. So this is not ambiguous. God has been very clear in prescribing for us a standard, a norm, a, a path, if you will, that if we would walk in this path, if we would, if we would live our lives according to this prescribed standard, or if we would conform to this norm that he has provided for us, then we would be considered a righteous person. Let me show you what that uh, norm is. I want you to hold your finger in Matthew chapter 5, if you will, and go back with me to the book of Psalms. And I want you to look in Psalm uh, 19. Psalm 19. Not 119, but Psalm 19. And if you have a pen, I want you to circle some words in this psalm, beginning in verse number 7. Psalm 19, verse 7 says, the law of the Lord. Circle the word law. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimonies, circle the word testimony. The testimonies of the Lord, or the testimony of the Lord is sure, it is certain, making wise the simple, the the uh, uh, unlearned. Verse 8, the statutes, circle the word statutes, the statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment, circle that, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever, and the judgments, circle the word judgments, the judgments of the Lord are true, and do you see the word? And righteous altogether. Now in verses 7, 8, and 9, you have circled law, testimony, statutes, commandment, uh, and judgments. Now what the writer of the psalm is celebrating is the rightness, the purity, the illuminating nature of the law of God, that the law of God brings rejoicing and it brings certainty in our lives and it educates us on how to know and walk with God and it enlightens us and it, um, it is true, verse 9, and it is righteous, the law of God. Now, the law of God, we could summarize in the Ten Commandments. That would be easy for us to kind of get our hands around what is the law of God 
all about, right? So you should have no other gods before me. God is to be first in my life. And there's to be no idols in my life. So don't bow down to anything other than God. And I'm to honor and respect who he is and, and do that by respecting uh, his name and the way I speak of him. And so I'm not to take the Lord's name in vain. Um, I'm to remember him and worship him. Uh, he, he said in the Sabbath, uh, I, I'm to honor my parents. Uh, I am to not lie. I should not commit adultery. I cannot uh, steal and take what is uh, not mine. Uh, all of these, all the, the Ten Commandments, we would say that's a summary of the standard that God has given us. And really, if you wanted to distill it down even further than that, Jesus took all the commandments and distilled them down into two, two commandments only. He said, the greatest commandment is that you're to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's number one, God is first in your life. And number two, you're to love your neighbor as yourself, which by the way means I don't covet, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, I don't lie, those things. So I, I, I honor or love my neighbor as myself. Now let's be crystal clear. To be righteous is to live your life in conformity to the standard that you have been given. And God has given us a standard. So if you and I are to be considered righteous under the law, then we must live our lives in conformity, perfect conformity to his law. If we do so, we are righteous. If we fail to do so, we are unrighteous. Now, by the way, every parent in the room gets this, right? If you're raising children, uh, you know uh, this principle. When our children are born, as they grow, we begin to give them norms. We establish norms, uh, standards of behavior and attitudes. You can act like this. You cannot act like that. You are not to lie to me. You are not to hit your sister. You are, you are to be this kind of good boy or good girl. And we, we teach them these standards. Now, let's be honest for a second. Our standards are not perfect like God's standards are, Right? I mean, they, they very often are based upon God's standards, but sometimes we create standards for our own good, right? And not necessarily the best things for them. But nonetheless, we create standards and we teach them to our children. And then we have this expectation that having been given a standard, they are to live according to that standard in conformity to that standard. And when they do, if they do, they are celebrated as being a good boy or a good girl and they are rewarded because we consider them righteous. They are, they're living righteously according to those standards. But if they don't live according to those standards, they are a naughty boy or a naughty girl and we consider them as being unrighteous in regard to our standards and therefore uh, they are punished. Well, in the same way God has given us a standard. We know what the standard is. It is his law. And here's the fact of the matter. If y'all are listening, I want you to shout amen. Here's the fact of the matter. All of us are spiritually deficient because none of us have lived in conformity with his revealed standard. 
Now, I want you to leave the book of Psalms and go all the way back to the New Testament and look with me in Romans chapter number three. So just blow right past Matthew five. We'll be back there in a minute. But go to Romans chapter three and listen to the declaration of Romans three and verse number 10 as it relates to our nonconformity to God's standard. Romans three and verse 10. As it is written, there is none righteous, no Not one. Let me ask you a question. How many righteous people are there in the world based on their conformity to God's standard? How many? None. That means you, sir. (laughs) That means you, ma'am. That means me. We are not righteous. That means the person who cuts you off in traffic and then they give you the California howdy. (laughs) They're unrighteous. And you say, I know they're unrighteous. It also means your sweet little grandmother who bakes cookies and in your eyes has never done anything wrong. She's unrighteous too. It's everybody. So the Bible says that because none of us have conformed to God's standard, then all of us are unrighteous. Verse 10, there's none righteous, no, not one. There's none that understands. None of us seek after God. We've all gone out of the way. That is out of the way that he has prescribed for us. We have walked away from the path that he has prescribed for us. As a result, we've become unprofitable. We don't do good. Their throat is an open, like an open grave. Their tongues are filled with deceit. There's poison in their lips. There's cursing and bitterness in their mouths. Our feet are swift to shed blood. We have destruction and misery in our ways. The way of peace we haven't known. Verse 18, there is no fear of God in our lives. We are all spiritually deficient and unrighteous because we have all violated God's law. You may argue, you may say, but now wait a minute, let's talk about my grandmother. <laughs> or, I mean, you know, I mean, she's not all that bad. She's really good. Or you might say, you know what? I'm not all that bad. I mean, I may not be perfect, but I, I really do some good things and I really am a good person and I, I do have some religious dedication and I, I, I do, you know, come to church and I, I, I do try to be a, a good person. I just need to tell you that the Bible is clear that even in all of your goodness, you're not righteous, okay? Even in all of your efforts, you're not righteous. I will tell you this, there is not a person in this room who knows the law of God like the Pharisees knew the law of God, nor is there a person in this room who if we did know the law of God like the Pharisees knew it, that we would live as strict a life in accordance with the law as the Pharisees did. They would be our model. If we were looking for a model of righteousness by the law, we would look to the Pharisees in the Gospels. But listen to what Jesus said in Matthew 5 and verse 20. I tell you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. If you're sitting here today saying, but I think I'm good enough. I think I'm the exception. God's going to let me into heaven. Newsflash. Jesus said, unless you're more righteous than the Pharisees, you're not getting in. And can I tell you, you are not nearly as righteous as the Pharisees were. 
And so we have to admit this this morning. We have to be honest and say that when Jesus talks about righteousness and the Beatitudes, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. We have to be honest and say the truth is we failed. Not only have we not been hungry for righteousness, not only have we not thirsted for righteousness, the fact is we have failed in any kind of righteous living. And as a result of that, we are unrighteous. Now, the result of that is that there is this great divide because God is perfect in his righteousness and he has revealed his perfect character to us in his perfect law. So on the one hand, you have this perfect God with this perfect standard who says to all the people in the world, if you will live by this perfect standard reflecting my perfect nature, then you can be with me. And all of us are over here because none of us have done it. And there is this incredible separation between us and God. There is this profound chasm that has separated us from the life and life with God. It is the, it is the chasm, the divide that separates us. But here's the good news, and I've given you enough bad news. So here's the good news. The good news is that for all of us living on this side of the chasm, looking across that non-traversable valley of our separation from God to this perfect God over there who has a perfect law that I cannot conform to, for all of us on this side, if we listen, we can hear the tender call of Jesus. Because the Bible says that Jesus came to call not the righteous. Look at it, Mark 2, 17. He says, those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. And I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Every sinner in the room ought to say, amen. Praise God. I was separated from God completely because of my unrighteousness, but he came to call me to himself. That's the gospel. It's the good news. Here it is in a sentence, in a word. You should write it down. It is that in Jesus Christ, this is the gospel plain and simple, that in Jesus Christ, God makes unrighteous people righteous. Praise the Lord. In Jesus, God makes unrighteous people righteous. You're still in Romans 3, verses 10 through 19 have affirmed for us, proving uh, our separation, our deficiency in righteousness and our resulting separation from God. But look at verse number 21. After affirming how separate from God we are, how unrighteous we are. He says in verse number 21 of Romans 3, but now. Would you shout those words out loud? Say them. But now. Do it again. I need to hear you at Merriman. But now. We are separate from God, deficient in our righteousness because we have not followed his path. We have not lived in conformity to his standard. Therefore, we are separate from him. But now. But now what? Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God is manifested. 
Now, this perfectly righteous God has made his righteousness known to us and available to us. His righteousness can be ours. But look at what verse 21 says. The righteousness of God without the law. Now, if you're listening, say amen. Watch this. Everything in the Old Testament said, if you want to be righteous, here's the prescription. Here's the standard. Here's the path. Live in conformity to this law. Keep these 10. Obey these two and live perfectly in conformity and you will be declared righteous because of your behaviors. We said we can't do it. None of us can do it. And so God has revealed a way that we can have his righteousness. But verse 21 is clear to say, it is a righteousness which comes to us excluding, irregardless of our conformity to the standard. God who said, here's the standard, live in it and you'll be righteous, has now said, I will make you righteous even though you have not lived up to my standard. Keep reading. Verse 21, but now the righteousness of God that comes to us without keeping the law has been manifested. It is even witnessed by the law and the prophets. We come to understand in the revelation of the New Testament that the law and the prophets in the Old Testament that made the standard so clear were in fact pointing to this righteousness which would ultimately come without keeping the law that the prophets proclaimed. They even witness to this. Verse 22, it is the righteousness of God which comes to us by faith in Jesus Christ. It is not righteousness by works. It is righteousness by faith. It's not righteousness by conformity. Listen, it is righteousness by conversion. It's not righteousness by requirements. It's righteousness by redemption. And it is righteousness which is given to those who put their faith in Christ. But what exactly are we trusting in? Keep reading. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by the faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon them all that believe. For there's no difference for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It means there's no difference in me, there's no difference in you, there's no difference from the Jew to the Gentile. Every person has sinned and come short of the glory of God. Every person then must believe in Jesus. What exactly are we believing? Verse 24, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Jesus. Now listen carefully. He says, when you come to God by faith to be made righteous. You are believing in Christ, but you are believing in the redemption that Christ has provided for you. You're not believing in the historical Jesus. You're not saved or made righteous by saying, I believe that Jesus lived 2000 years ago, even by saying, I even believe that, yeah, he died and maybe he rose from the dead. That's not saving faith. Saving faith believes in his redemption. That is the fact that he is the redeemer and that his death on the cross paid a penalty, paid a price in order to redeem us. Look at verse number 24, being justified freely by the grace 
by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood. Did you grow up in church world singing what can wash away my sins? Nothing but the, say it, blood of Jesus. What can make me whole again? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Oh, precious is the flow. No other fount I know. Nothing but the blood of Jesus. Do you understand that to be made righteous without conforming to the law means that I must come to the place where I see Jesus on the cross. I realize that his blood shed on the cross was paying my penalty, that he was propitiation covering. He was covering my sin and I trust in him. I trust in his death. I trust in his crucifixion. I believe in his resurrection and I say, Jesus, it is your death and resurrection and that alone, which can make me righteous before God. That is saving faith. And he says to us in this passage that when we put our faith in him, in the blood that he shed at the cross, that we realize something profound about God. And that is that this righteous God who sees unrighteous people who are failing to conform to his righteous standard and he makes them righteous that he in no way diminishes his own unrighteousness by doing so because the righteous demands of his righteous law have paid the penalty for the unrighteous acts of their ungodly lives. And so trusting in Christ, he can justify them and make them righteous because Christ has paid the price. This is what verse number 25, 26 tells us. Whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation, a covering through faith in his blood to declare... God's righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God to declare, I say at this time, God's righteousness that God might remain just, that he might be just and the justifier of him that believes in Jesus. So here's the gospel. It is that God, who is perfectly righteous, has loved us, a world full of unrighteous sinners. And that this righteous God robed himself in flesh and sent his righteous son into the world of unrighteous sinners. And that for 33 years, his son lived a perfectly righteous life among unrighteous sinners. And then he went to the cross and with righteous blood and with a righteous life of perfection, he paid the penalty on the cross for what the unrighteous sinners could never do. And now, when the gospel is proclaimed and unrighteous sinners look to the righteous son and ask God to be made righteous, God can remain righteous while claiming the righteousness of his son for the unrighteousness of those who are now believing in his righteous son. If you understand, shout amen. That is the gospel. And when we believe that, then we are made righteous. In fact, 2 Corinthians 5.21 says it this way, for our sake... He made him, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin, that in him, that is in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. There there it is. 
that Christ became unrighteous so the unrighteous could become righteous. And what is required? Believing, trusting. In fact, this is not new news. This is all the way back in Genesis. Genesis 15 and verse 6 tells us that Abraham believed the Lord. He put his faith in the Lord and that faith was counted or credited to him for righteousness. I want you to get these words. Remember, righteousness by definition is conformity to God's standard. We haven't done that, but we can believe, we can trust in what he's done, and when we trust, his righteousness is credited to our account. Abraham believed, and it was credited to him. Abraham didn't fulfill the law perfectly. He felt like all of us, but God accounted him righteous because of his faith. Now, you're still in Romans. Go to Romans chapter 4 and look at verse number 5. Romans 4 and verse number 5 says, But to him that does not work to be righteous, but believes to be righteous, but to him that worketh not, but believes on him that justifies the ungodly by faith, his faith is counted, it means accounted, or put to the account of, his faith is counted for righteousness. Remember a moment ago, I said that in Jesus, God makes unrighteous people righteous. And he makes unrighteous people righteous when we put our faith in Christ. It means that the righteousness of Christ is credited to my account. Now, loved ones, this is the gospel. And so here's the bottom line. The bottom line is, if you, I'm talking to you, nobody else in the room, I'm talking to you. If you have trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ, the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, for your personal righteous standing before God, if you have put all your hope for an eternal life with God in the work of Christ on the cross, then through that faith, God has declared you righteous, justified you, and you have eternal life. You are righteous. And if you have not, if you have not trusted your eternal soul to the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ, if you have not trusted in the blood of Jesus Christ, the bottom line of the word of God is that you are unrighteous and therefore condemned in your unrighteousness. Not because God is unkind or mean, but because you have failed to live up to God's standard, you have not conformed to his law, and you have not trusted in the one who did, Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter number five and verse number six is that we should all long for righteousness because none of us have it naturally. I loved ones, if you've never trusted in Christ, do it today. If you're watching online or you're in Merriman or you're in Weaverville, trust in Christ today. And we're gonna, I'm gonna give you a chance to do that in a moment. I'm gonna finish the message and we're gonna come back. But listen, if God has put his finger on your heart right now and said, that's what you need. You need to trust in the blood of Christ for salvation. You just stay right where you are. Don't leave that point in your heart. And we'll give you a chance to do it in a few minutes. But there's something else in this passage in Matthew chapter five and verse number six that we need to see. And it relates to those of us who are already in the kingdom. Go back to Matthew 5 and 6, if you will. It relates to those of us who are Christians. We already know 
Jesus. Verse 6, blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness. Write it down. Here's what Jesus says. Christians are to long for righteousness. Now, I'm, I'm unrighteous outside of Christ. Once I come into the kingdom, I'm declared righteous. But having been declared righteous, my standing before God is I'm righteous, now I've got a life to live in this life, and I need to long for hunger and thirst after righteousness. These two words, hunger and thirst. Jesus uses two of the most powerful appetites. In fact, I would say the two most powerful appetites in the human family to hunger. Like a man who has had no bread in days and will die if he does not eat. That kind of hunger. Like a person who is traversing a desert in a sandstorm and days have passed without water and if they don't drink, they will die. That kind of thirst. He says hunger and thirst like that, Christian, for righteousness. Now the fact is every one of us, every person in the room is driven by some appetites, some kind of longing. Some people have an appetite for money and possessions and it drives every moment, every waking moment of your life. As you fall asleep at night, you're thinking of more ways to get more. And when you wake up in the morning, you hit the ground with one drive. It is, I want to gather, I want to gain as much as I can. Some people are driven by an appetite for power. I want to be in control. Some people are driven by an appetite for sexual pleasure. Legal, biblically, uh, beautiful sexual pleasure or immoral, illicit sexual pleasure, but they are driven for sexual satisfaction. Some people are driven by an appetite for fame. Some people are driven by an appetite for ease. Don't bother me. I just want to be left alone. I want to relax. Whatever it is. But Jesus said, those who come to faith in Christ ought to have a new appetite. That is that we ought to have the appetite, what would drive us ought to be a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Verse number six, blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so what Jesus is teaching us is that coming into the kingdom means that our appetites are changing. And, and I would just say to you, if you say you're a child of God, but your appetites have never begun to be transformed, that's a problem. He says that when we come into the kingdom, we should begin to have different appetites. Now, why is that? Why would a Christian have a different appetite than a non-Christian? Simply put, here it is, write it down. Because we're given a new nature. That is that for the believer, we have received the nature of Jesus Christ. Now, we still live in a fallen world. We still live in the flesh. We still have the battles with temptation and things. But nonetheless, when you come to faith in Christ, your spirit is made alive. You're born again. And the nature of Christ is in us. Ephesians 4, 24 tells us to put it on. That new man, wear the new man, which has after God been created in righteousness and in holiness. That's why your appetites change. That's the reason that a Christian, will, a person will come to faith and they'll say, man, I, I want different things now. Something's changed in my desires. Doesn't mean my old desires are all gone away overnight, but it means I've got some new desires. 
I'll never forget when I came to faith in Christ as a 16-year-old, as a teenager, not a church attender previous to that, but the morning, the Sunday morning after I got saved on a Thursday night, I woke up and something in me, couldn't explain it, didn't know why, something in me wanted, miracle of miracles, to go to church. I, I wanted to be there. And suddenly I wanted my life to please God and I wanted to know the Bible and I wanted my life to be different. Is there anything I did? No, it's just the new nature within me. It's Christ had taken him his residence in me. Number two, we have, a, we have the Holy Spirit. And so our appetites change because the Holy Spirit dwells within us. So Christian, Christian friend, here's what the Bible says to you. Hunger and thirst after righteousness. You've been declared righteous in Christ. But now in this life, while you're living, would you go to work and in your home and in your family and what you watch on television and, and what music you listen to and how you spend your free time and how you spend your money and where your priorities are, you should hunger for righteousness to, to be the, the theme of all of that. Let me make some suggestions to you quickly as we get ready to close. Let me offer you three suggestions. I'm going to give it to you, ABC, real quickly. Three suggestions for the Christian to whet your appetite for righteousness, okay? Number one, offer yourself to God daily for righteousness. Offer yourself to God every day for righteousness. Let me read to you. You don't have to turn. I'll just read it to you from Romans chapter number six, and I want you to listen to verse number 13. Paul writes, Neither yield your members, that's your, your, your eyes, your hands, your body, your, your thinking. Do not yield your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin. But rather, yield or offer yourselves to God as those that are alive from the dead and your members, your body, as instruments of righteousness to God. So this is a decision that we make every day. That I want to offer all that I am to God for righteousness. So I get up in the morning, I say, Lord, this is, this is your tongue today. These are your lips. Let them speak righteousness. And God, these are your eyes. These aren't mine, but I'm gonna offer my eyes to you, Lord, and I want my eyes to seek out what is righteous. And God, this is my mind. It's not, it's not, I belong to me, it belongs to you. So God, I'm giving you the way that I think today. And as the culture brings the onslaught of, of, of evil or wrong thinking, God, I just wanna offer it to you. I'm gonna, I wanna think toward righteousness. God, these feet I'm giving you today, they're going to walk in a way that's righteous. So it's just an, it's an intentional offering. God, I want to I be righteous. I'm hungering for righteousness. I'm giving you my body today. Number two, discipline yourself for righteousness. Discipline yourself for righteousness. This is 1 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 7, which uses the word to train yourself. It's a word where we get our word gymnasium, to work out. Have some discipline in your life. Say, Pastor, I, I hadn't read the Bible. I just don't read it, man. I don't know, you know, I just never read it. I'll pick it up next Sunday when I come back to church, but I, just, I don't know, I just don't read it. Don't have time. Listen, you need to get some discipline in your life. Amen? You say, well, I just can't do it. Yes, you can. You're lazy. That's why you can't do it. I love you. You watch too much TV. That's why you don't read your Bible. You spend too much time on your hobbies. That's why you never read your Bible. Paul would say, Hey, you want to be righteous? Get some discipline in your life. Get the word of God in your life. <laughs> Amen. Be faithful to the house of God. You say, well, that's just hard to get up and go. No, it's not. It's easy. Man, you live in a heated house. You've got a heated car. You sit in a heated auditorium on soft seats. 
and the temperature's right. You got a half-rate preacher, but you got to put up with that. But you got it easy. So I don't know, I just can't come. You know what, you don't come? Maybe I should speak those online. Can I speak honest? I love you. And some of you can't be here. But some of you can and you're lazy. I'm serious, there's no discipline in your life. You want to be righteous? Get some, train yourself for righteousness. I'm going to stop before y'all get mad. Number three. (laughs) Number three, receive God's discipline for righteousness. Sometimes God disciplines us. But the Bible says in Hebrews 12 and 14 that when he does, it is for our holiness. It's for our righteousness. So don't resist it, but receive it. Okay? Well, Christ's promise in this fourth beatitude is that if we will hunger and thirst after righteousness, then we will be filled in this life He will increase righteousness in us. Well, I'm out of time, but I got one more point. Let me give you one more point. I'll give it to you quickly because, man, we ought to think about this in these days. And it's simply to say that Christ is coming again and he's coming to reign in righteousness. Praise God. Revelation 19, 11 tells us that one day, and I believe one day soon, heaven is going to open and Christ is going to return on a white horse. And the Bible says in that passage that he is going, uh, that when he comes, he will make war against the kingdoms of this world in righteousness and that he will break down and overthrow the kingdoms of this world and establish his kingdom on the earth. And that kingdom, Isaiah 9, 7 says, will be a kingdom of righteousness, that everything in his kingdom will be right. Have you been watching the news lately about what's happening in this world? Not only is it, a, am convinced, a precursor, another step toward the return of the Lord, but it is obvious that what is driving and motivating heads of state, presidents and kings, Rulers and emperors is not righteousness, but rather selfish gain, imperialism, and and power grabs. One day Jesus is coming and he will rule the world. And from, from Dan to Beersheba, from New York to LA, from Rome to Spain, to Antarctica to the North Pole, that would be Antarctica, to the South Pole, righteousness will be in this world. Amen. Everything will be right because the righteous king will be ruling. Hebrews chapter 12, I believe verse 1 says it this way. To the son, he said, your kingdom is forever. The scepter of your kingdom is the scepter of righteousness. And so one day, the righteous king is coming to establish his righteous kingdom where everything will be right and his people redeemed will rule with him in righteousness. Until then, I want to hunger and thirst after righteousness and live for it. And I want to be able to be like Paul who said at the end of his life, I'm ready to be offered. The time of my departure is at hand. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give to me at that day. Not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Jesus said, if you will come hungering and thirsting for righteousness, he'll fill you. 
your life will become righteous. And if you have no faith in Christ, you are unrighteous. Trust in him and be made righteous.